Ireland on lockdown, the economic impact of the coronavirus, and how Bloomberg helped the little guy by spending $500 million. Irishman stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show where you come for the accent and you stay for the principles. And today's going to be a a different show because I want to talk to you about what's going on in our world, as I always do. But I want to talk to you about principles, but I also want to talk to you in very relatable terms to help you understand what's going on. Today's show is going to be very important because I'm going to talk to you a lot about economics. Don't freak out. I'm not going to go all number heavy on you. And I'm going to make this as simple as possible by actually giving you real life examples of what's going on. I would encourage you to share this show with anyone that you know who needs to know about what's going on in the world right now. The first thing I want to talk to you about is if you've been living or you've seen the the news around the world is Ireland and Europe has been heavily shut down over the last 24, 48 hours, 72 hours even. And there is drastic measures been taken. You know, the soccer leagues in England, in Ireland, have all been postponed until I think it's April 4th or April 3rd. All the big sporting events around Europe car racing, um, golf. You've had this in America. You've had the NBA, the NHL, the M- uh, MLB, all postponed. You're starting to see this impacting. But over the last 40 to, uh, 48 hours, 72 hours, things have been really escalating in Ireland. And I want to talk to you about what's happening on the ground and why people panicking is actually making things worse. You know, if you read enough history, one of the the key things that you realize why Winston Churchill was a great leader was, no matter how bad things got, his response was, keep calm and carry on. Keep calm and carry on. That is advice that is very much needed today. But sadly, there's not really many leaders to de- to deliver that message. And any leader that could potentially maybe deliver that message wouldn't get it out there because the media are so blatantly biased. So I want to talk to you because I work around retail and I can see what's happening. And there's a panic going on in retail right now. And I'm also going to make a, you know, I'm going to journey into Glenn Beck world and say, I'm going to p- predict there is more chaos coming. And this is going to happen in Ireland. It's going to happen in Europe. And the reason I'm sharing this is because in case you're sitting there kind of going, why am I sharing this with you? Firstly, because we're all humans and a large chunk of this audience is Christian or Jewish. So, you know, you care for your fellow man. But the real reason I'm sharing this is because it's it's going to come to America. And I want to give you what's going to happen to your country maybe in a week or two weeks or three weeks or maybe it's a month. 
no one really knows. And explain from a retail point of view what you're seeing. So when, I think it was Thursday of this week, the Irish Prime Minister, the Taoiseach, as we call him over here, which is the Irish Prime Minister, made a com- press conference and gave a statement to the, to the country and said, what we need to do is all schools are closed, all colleges are closed, all public gatherings uh, inside under 100 people need to stop, and all gatherings outside over 100 people need to stop. Because the risk of contagion, because this is now a pandemic, is so severe, we need to limit this. St. Patrick's Day, which is on Tuesday, pretty much all the parades everywhere has been cancelled. The minute this happened, I was in store. I didn't actually hear this. I was actually in a public store doing an order for a company. And I was fine. It was grand. It was normal. It was just a normal Thursday. And then all of a sudden, crowds appeared. There were queues for trolleys to get into some stores on Thursday. I shared some pictures on social media of shelves that were stripped bare. And you could cut the tension with a knife. And I went to a manager to go through my order with him. And I said, has something gone on? And he's like, you don't know? I'm like, yeah, of course I know. I'm just making sure you know. You know, and I was like, I haven't got a clue, dude. What's going on? And he's like, the prime minister, T-Shot, came and gave this press conference. And all the schools are shut. All the colleges are shut. And everyone's just resulting to it. Within an hour of this happening, it was all the all out pandemonium. There were people literally going crazy. I actually saw a person on Thursday afternoon, and I shared this story. I could, this is unbelievable. You know, there's we have a thing called over here called potato waffles. They're, like imagine a, a hash brown or a similar version of it. This lady went to the freezer, saw not, none of them, went for f's sake, and then eventually got someone and said, "No, I've got more out the back. I'll go get you some." And when he gave her the box of waffles, she was like. It was like you told her she was going to live an extra five years. She was just like, oh, thank God. It was like you gave her the vaccine for whatever she had wrong with her. People were legitimately freaking out. Because people are panicking. People are under a lot of pressure. There is panic buying all over the place. I've worked around or in retail for a very long time. I am fully aware of what Christmas Eve is like. Because I'm sure you guys have it over there for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Over here, we have this usual panic buying the day before Christmas Eve or Christmas Eve, or maybe both, where everyone freaks out because they're like, oh my God, it's Christmas Eve. It's Christmas. There could be unexpected visitors coming. Oh my God, I have to cook dinner for 20 people tomorrow. And what happens if my neighbor comes? And what happens if my niece and nephew comes? (gasps) Oh my God, and the stores are closed. The stores are closed Christmas Day. Oh my God, and only the little convenience stores are open Chris or Stevens' day, the day after Christmas Day. Oh my God, we need to buy stuff. We need to buy it. Hey, I know I only normally buy one tub of ice cream, but buy five. Hey, we only usually, like we use a loaf of bread a week, buy ten. I'm not joking. That is what happens. It is crazy. What has happened over the last 48 hours in stores where I've been? It is worse than that. Everyone that I've talked to in this industry is like, this is crazy. This is going to have a knock-on effect, which is going to make the panic get worse. I happened to be around a store and a retail industry on Friday. And problems that arose on Friday morning was the logistic company, the people who ship stuff, were majorly late. And people went into the stores, and the products that that logistic company that was having problems couldn't deliver, people were going into the store going, oh my god. There's nothing here. The shelves are bare. 
yeah, the delivery's coming in a couple of hours. It's just a couple of hours late. Oh my God, there's none. Oh, oh my God, what are we going to do? There's, there's none of this and there's none of this and I need this and I need this. This, if I don't have this, this is life or death. And then they went to other stores and because it was the same logistics company that had the problems, they kept going to other stores, but the logistic company was having the problem, not that company, not the store. So they went to those stores and couldn't find the meter. And things just got worse. But because what you're seeing right now is people are panic buying, in a lot of industries right now, there is no extra deliveries. The system that you're seeing right now, or that we have in Ireland, is under a lot of pressure. It's under a lot of pressure to keep up with demand. Because people are buying so much stuff, it's incredible. I'm friendly with a lot of reps with a lot of different companies. There's one rep who I got friendly with who showed me their stock card where they showed the sales for the last four weeks. Of one product, they usually sell between 100 and 120 cases a week. It was consistent. Like I think it was 100, 118, 112, 108. It was very consistent. Last week, 396 cases in a week. That's one store of one product. People are going crazy. But this, as much as this panic buying is going to happen, what's going to happen is it's having a knock-on effect on all the logistics companies. Because if you can think of yourself as a shipper, you know, someone who drives those lorries, you know all those dumb people? You know, the people that we don't need, who we'd actually starve without, who are literally heroes because they bring food to your to your store so you can buy it. You know how we look down on all those people the same way we look down on farmers? Well, if you can imagine the logistics of getting orders to stores, there are stores that usually get half a trailer of stuff. And usually what a shipping company will do is, hey, you're going to this store, you're delivering half your trailer of that, you're going to that store, you're giving the other half, and then there's a little convenience store around the corner, there's a little pallet of stuff for them, give it to them, and that's one journey. That's all makes sense. But because people are panic buying, what's happening is that same delivery where it would be three stores, is now that driver has now been sent to one store with a full trailer. And in fact, sometimes there's a second truck going to that store because the panic buying has happened so much. That's on the logistics side of things. Now think of things from, not from the store point of view, but from a warehouse point of view. I don't know what the, st- the, the actual numbers are, but people, to get food to your table, to get food to the store so you can buy it, everything from carrots to Coke to crisps to chocolate is all the same. It's all the same process you have the logistics side of things but you also then have the warehouse side of things where literally companies have these big corporate buyers and they will literally buy for you know like walmart and has some type of buyer buyer and they will reckon well you know for the next three months we're going to need a thousand kilos of chocolate and they buy these things and then they store them and then so when the you know the local Walmart in Texas and then Dallas and then in Houston and then in San Antonio says, hey, we need 100 kilos of chocolate. We need a 50 kilos. We need 80 kilos. They have it in the warehouse. They can go, yeah, no problem. That's dispatched to you now. And obviously included in a bigger order. Well, because everyone is panic buying, what's happening is a lot of warehouses eventually, I don't know, this might take a day, it might take a week, it might take a month, are going to run out of stock. And then it needs to be replenished. And it's not like, hey, you know what, we just need to go down to the local 7-Eleven to get stuff. These warehouses get stuff from overseas. 
and overseas are not just sitting there going, I wonder when Ireland's going to want, you know, the next 100,000 kilos of chocolate or 100,000 kilos of toilet roll because we're running out of toilet roll here too or 100 kilos of whatever it is, of strawberries, whatever the, the food is. It's all the same principle. They're not just sitting around. They're selling it. So then they got to go to the buyer and say, hey, I need another 100,000 kilos of chocolate or strawberries or potatoes, whatever it is. And they got to go, okay, you can have them in six weeks. No, I need them now. You can have them in four weeks. No, I need them now. Or there's going to be panic. Then they have to get it onto a ship to get it to Ireland. It's not like we just click our fingers and, hey, guess what? The warehouse is full of potatoes and chocolates and toilet roll and Coke and everything and chocolate. It doesn't happen that way. So when this panic starts kicking in, it's going to get worse. And then what's going to happen is people are going to get online and kind of go, which they did on Thursday and Friday. Hey, I was looking for spuds or potatoes or chocolate or strawberries or whatever it is they needed. And they went to the store and they didn't have any. They went to this store and they didn't have any. Which is going to cause people to buy even more. Oh my God. They went. They were looking for strawberries there the other day. Or they were looking for chocolate and they didn't have any. Hey, I need potatoes and I need milk. Hey, you know what? I'm going to go buy more stuff because I don't want to come to the store in two or three days and find out they have none. I'm going to go panic buy even more. And the panic just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then it just causes it even to grow as shortages will come. The other thing that's really frustrating what's going on right now is the media, typical media, are absolutely unbelievable with their politics. Someone sent me a message the other day on Thursday because they saw this headline, Ireland in lockdown from 6pm Thursday. They sent me the article and kind of go, hey, are you okay? Absolutely fine. I'm under pressure, I'm under stress at work, but it's absolutely, I'm fine. But it says you're in lockdown. No, we're not. We can still go as, as we want. Yeah, you can't have a St. Patrick's Day parade. You know what? Block parties are probably going to be frowned upon. But I can go to work. I can go to the store. And go, I can free movement as I always have. Nothing has changed. It's just the colleges and schools. The media are playing games with this. Which, just on a side note, I was absolutely sick and disgusted with the media in your country. Specifically MSNBC. You know, this is a serious virus, which I'm going to talk a bit more about. And I saw some coverage on MSNBC. Oh, oh, yes. Oh, this coronavirus, this is going to be Trump's Katrina. Really? This is causing devastation, directly and indirectly. And all you want to do is play politics? You're so frothing at the mouth of your hatred for Donald Trump. That you can't see people's pain, their anguish. All you can see is a chance to remove Donald Trump. Because, hey, do you remember he was a racist and he was a homophobe and he supported the KKK? Yeah, that didn't work. Remember he was all in bed at Russia and Russia collusion? Yeah, that didn't work. Remember all the women and the tape? Yeah, that didn't work. You remember that perfect phone call in Ukraine and this is the impeachment? This is the smoking gun? Wake up. This is a serious thing. Whether you believe in the coronavirus, which we're going to talk about now in a second again, or you don't, it is having economic impacts for everyone. And all you want to do is play politics, get a life. But this is a serious issue, and I want to talk to you, give you another aspect of why it's a serious issue. And I want to give you something I I reached out to. 
one of the things that you're seeing right now, and that there's a question around there, is kind of going. So Ireland's, you know, in this, all these colleges and schools are shut down. You have all this system, you know, in Europe. You're seeing all these sporting events shut down. Is this not a bit of an overreaction to, you know, four and a half thousand people dead worldwide in three months? And someone explained this to me. And I was like, this is a bit of an overreaction. I think I said it on this show. I'm not so worried about coronavirus. I am very, very, very worried about the economic impacts this is going to have on a lot of people. Which we're going to talk about later on in the show. But this person reached out and they know their stuff. They've been around the medical industry a while. And I said, listen, what's going on? Lay, lay it on the ground for me. Lay, lay, you know, talk to me like I'm a six-year-old. Like I'm completely dumb, which I am. And they said, the problem that this is not an overreaction is that you have to look at hospitals like a supply chain. Whether you like it or not, every hospital has an amount of people it can take at any one time. It can help X amount of people. Now, each hospital has different functions and has different wards. So you have people with cancer. You have people with heart ailments. You have people with dementia. You have people with just general issues. You have people with broken bones. You have people with, you know, normal surgeries, you know, to get a hip replacement, to get a knee replacement. You know, to you've got surgeries in rooms and wards occupied for, you know, like you've torn a muscle or, you know, like Tommy John surgery in baseball. You have all this. We only have a certain amount of beds for capacity. And there's only X amount of beds in Ireland. And it is the same in any country. It's just the number changes. It's the same in England. It's the same in Italy. Now, what you have is every doctor goes to school, goes to school and learns general medicine, and then will go off and specialize in something. Maybe it's radiology, maybe it's cancer, maybe it's hearts, maybe it's x-rays, whatever it is, they go specialize in something. We only have X amount of doctors. And this is usually based, unless there's some type of gap in the market, it's based on, on the average year, we will treat X amount of patients. So therefore, we need X amount of beds, X amount of doctors. The problem with this coronavirus is firstly, and this, this is what this person explained to me was, that we don't really know exactly everything about it. It's not like, hey, you've got cancer. Well, that sucks, but, you know, you have all these stages. We're still looking for a vaccine to this. It can become very mild. It can be, you know, you've seen people say, I just had it for a couple of days and I'm okay now. Or you've had people needing ICU treatments, intensive care. But you only have a certain amount of beds. What happens if the system gets so overwhelmed that you don't have more people needing treatment than you have beds? But then you also then have the unintended consequences where you have, okay, Listen, we can fit X amount of people in with the coronavirus. But because it's so highly contagious, what happens with doctor fatigue? What happens with nurses fatigue? But also, what happens to the other patients? Because you're dealing with something that is highly contagious. If you have people in ICU, do you have the precautions and the treatment to be able to say, look, we can hold, let's just give use a number. We can hold 100 people. But there are people, maybe 20 people with cancer in that same hospital who have weak immune systems, who are getting chemotherapy, who may have just gone through the operation, who are not 100%, and then you're having this highly, highly contagious dose around them. Is there a chance this might have a knock-on effect and kill or hurt people's chances of surviving cancer? Yes. So this person said to me, for the system, for the health system to work, we cannot have a lot of people with this disease that need hospitalization, that need ICU treatment. And that if it hits a certain point, 
you will see the system buckle. And that number is not that high. So that is why they are cancelling everything. That is the big fear. So I know people are going, well, four and a half thousand people. It's sad in three months, but is it really that big of a deal? That is a big deal. But from a contagion point of view, it can have major ramifications for direct deaths from coronavirus, but also indirect deaths from other people getting it. You're having all this stress on the system. But I'd also just share this to give you the human side of things. I see people online who are not that, you know, or think this is a hoax, or think this is just, you know, some type of way of just, you know, the next big epidemic to be frightened of and to be fearful for. There is an that sad side to this. So I don't know if you guys know, but um, I think I've shared this on the show before. This is going to have a, an emotional impact on some people. And I just want to share one way it will. First of all, all this panic in, in for humans going around, they can't get stored, they can't get you know products, they can't get supplies. That's going to stress your system out. That's not good for you. But my mother is a funeral director. She helps people, you know, helps them... They organize the funerals, the churches, the, the burial, the crematorium, whatever it is. Whether you're Christian, Jewish, atheist, Muslim, whatever you are, she helps. One of the potential impacts on this funeral is she's got funerals in. And normally what they would do over there, I think, that, I'm sure they do this in the US as well, but one of the things they do in Ireland is you have a wake. It's an old traditional style where it used to be in the house where, you know, you'd, you'd get the body back into the house and you'd sleep but you stay spend all night with it and you take it in shifts and you'd pray for that person to to get into heaven or sometimes you do it in the funeral home well because of corona a lot of people are not able to do that anymore they're literally at a point where every church now when you have a funeral in a church you literally have to it's not hey you know you put up on the website hey this person's died the funeral is in this church at 10 a.m on friday and you can go to it they're now not even putting any of the information up because they don't want people at the funeral. It's up to the family to decide. So there's going to be people who are fam- long-lost friends of so-and-so, some people, and they've lost them. And they can't pay their respects. And they can't go to the funeral home because of Corona. They can't go to the, to, the, to the church. How do you think that's going to feel? There's also rumors that potentially that people are talking about over here. I'll, I'll share more as this as I know it. But one of the suggestions is we're going to have to cremate everyone because this might live live on in the system if someone dies from it. Now, this is all rumor, so take this with a grain of salt. But they're saying we can't bury those people. I don't know what's going to happen. But can you imagine if you had to you know, have a really small funeral and you didn't even get to see your, per- your mother or your father before she died because of corona? Or you could, they were in a nursing home. Maybe they don't die of corona. Maybe they're just in a nursing home where you cannot go anymore because of the coronavirus. They don't want contagion. And then all of a sudden, sadly, they die. You didn't get to say goodbye. And then you can't have a celebration of their life because of the coronavirus. This is going to have an impact, an emotional impact on everyone. These are the things we need to start sharing with people. Because it's easy to talk about principles. Or sorry, it's, it's actually hard to talk about principles. But we also need to talk about principles, but with the human side of it and the human impact of what's going to happen.
I want to talk to you about economics and economics of what is happening right now and why this is really, really scary. This is my biggest fear when it comes to the coronavirus, is the economic impact of it. And sometimes when we hear talk about economics, it's easy to talk about, you know, how many hundreds of thousands of people, you know, have gained their job or lost their job or how many people are in problems. I'm going to talk to you and give you an example, a real life example about the impact this is going to have. So Easter is in April. The week after Easter, I'm due to fly to New York City. I'm due to fly to New York City. I was supposed to do something, but that hasn't, that's, that's fallen through. But I'm going to be in New York City. I fly in on a Friday night, I think. I'm there all day Saturday, all day Sunday. And I think I either fly back Monday night or Tuesday. I can't remember which. Just a short trip. Now, this trip right now, if you ask me, am I doing this trip? No, I'm not. Because the purpose of the trip has, um, has changed. But also, the, uh, economic impact of it i don't particularly cannot risk going to america and getting caught up in the coronavirus whether it's isolation there or whether it's isolation here i can't afford to be off work but what i want to do is i want to talk to you about the economics of it and explain to you just from one trip the economic impact on what's happening on america so because there was a few things up in the air about this trip all i've done is paid for my airline for my ticket to new york all the other things I would have done, let's say I was to go on this trip. Just think about the economics of this. I would have booked a bag with Aer Lingus to get stow away a bag. Cost about 80 bucks return. I would have got to the airport in Dublin Airport. Likely would have got, you know, a bottle of water and maybe a sandwich. Because it's an, it's an evening flight, so I, I wouldn't have eaten much all day with work. Might have even gotten a burger in a, in a restaurant. I didn't get on a on the pl- on the plane. I don't usually buy much on a plane, but maybe you know I get a coke, something, maybe a bottle of water. I didn't get off the plane in New York, land in JFK. I get outside and I get a taxi to New York. What 50, 60, 70 bucks plus tip. I then because it'll be late on New York, it'll be seven or eight or nine o'clock by the time I'm arrived in New York, I'll be absolutely tired after a long day's work and a flight. I'll need to get something to eat real quick, probably get into the hotel bar, lobby, get some food, get some drink, pay the tip there as well. Over the couple of days I probably would have went to Yankee Stadium, bought a ticket to Yankee Stadium, get a train to Yankee Stadium. Because of who I am, I probably would have bought a program and a baseball and Maybe a baseball cap. Maybe even a jersey. An Iron Judge jersey. Go, baby. Or maybe a Jared Cole jersey because he's a great pitcher. I then would have, you know, countless nights out. You know, I would have had Saturday, Sunday, Monday. All the food and drink. I would have probably, because I always do, I go to the 9-11 Museum. Ticket there. Program there. Leave a donation. Buy some type of memorabilia. Go shopping around Manhattan. Meet up a few people, go out and have food and drink with them. Just think of all those that money I would have spent. And I'm not the biggest spender. I'm not a posh person. I'm not eating in you know big expensive uh, eateries. I would have had a few you know nice quality subs. All that money that now I won't be spending in America. All those people who now would have served me my food, my drink. 
you know, the beer at the Yankee Stadium would have sold me the jersey, would have let me into the 9-11 Museum. I probably would have, you know, got on the tour buses because I always get the tour buses in New York. I always buy the, the, the bus ticket that allows unlimited travel. Because you just go around New York, you get to see different things, you get to hear different operators. And it's cheaper than a taxi. You get to go uptown or downtown. You get to go to Brooklyn. I just love the the visions and the sights of New York. Probably would have went to Rockefeller Square, Rockefeller Center, gone up to the top. All those things now that I probably would have done, I would have spent money on. I won't be doing anymore. Now think of all the jobs that will impact. Now clearly I'm only one person. So losing out on my dollar isn't the biggest deal. But now if you multiply this over 100 people, over 1,000 people, over 10,000 people, over 100,000 people, think of the economic impact this is going to have. The one thing we never realize, I don't think, unless you actually think about economics deeply, is how important a knock-on effect your spending actually has. The knock-on effect of how much your dollar that you spend actually creates jobs. And it's the same whether you're poor, whether you're a millionaire or billionaire. You know, one of those people we're supposed to hate. It's the exact same. So because now I, I'm 99% sure I won't be going to New York. And by the way, I mightn't be allowed in because Donald Trump correctly has shut the borders to all flights for, to Europe. Now he's left Ireland and England open, but I don't see that, I don't see that staying open for a long time. This is such a bad disease. But think of all the the money I would have spent. All that money as one person. Now all the people who are are down that money, all those companies, all those people who are down tips, what are they going to do? That's going to affect their income. That's going to affect their jobs. Therefore, they won't be spending as much. They won't be spending, hey, you know, well, I got got a $10 tip from John. I was, I was going to go buy a burger, but now I haven't got that $10 because John didn't travel to New York. I'm not buying that burger. And then that person who sold would have sold that worker that burger, now all of a sudden is out of sales, out that sales of a burger. They have an impact. Do you see the common thread of how your dollar travels, how what you buy and what you purchase affects other people? This is the economic issues that we are having. This is the economic impact the coronavirus is going to have. My biggest fear is what's going to happen to poor people. What's going to happen to people who have not got a lot of money? We shared this story on this show a couple of, maybe about a month ago, where I spoke to you about the amount of people who are fit to pay $500 bill. Unexpected $500 bill. How many people can survive it? What's going to happen if you are to self-quarantine without work for two weeks? Can you survive it? What economic issues are you going to have then? How are you going to deal with it? Now think of that over 5,000 people, 10,000 people, 100,000 people. America is a land of 330 million people. Can you imagine the economic impact of 100,000 people out of work for two weeks in quarantine? What would happen? All that money they would spend. And also, you guys have something over there that you were, your companies are so reliant on consumer. You have so many. The one thing that I'm always amazed about from your country, from an economic point of view, is you have Starbucks in every corner. You know, over here, there's quite a considerable distance between Starbucks or McDonald's or Burger King or KFC. 
You have Starbucks in every corner. You have McDonald's within a couple of miles of each other. All those companies are reliant on you going in and buying that cup of coffee, buying that Mac, you know, Big Mac, buying a bucket of chicken. Olive Garden, all these different companies that are in the business of serving you. Dunkin' Donuts. Think of all the impact that's going to have. And think of the impact that's going to have on workers. There was a cruise company, which literally have said, no more cruises for the next three months. Can you imagine being one of those workers? What's going to happen to them? How are they going to pay the bills? How are they going to put food on the table? But then also the people who are reliant on them spending that money, what's going to happen when they're not, sp- they're not spending their money in their store anymore? They're not buying food. They're not buying as many groceries. That's going to have a knock-on effect. My big fear about the coronavirus has always been the economics of the situation. What is going to happen? The other fear I have with the coronavirus, and this is something we're going to talk about more over the next couple of weeks. But if you've been watching what's happening in the stock market this week, it's truly terrifying. It really is absolutely terrifying. Hundreds upon hundreds of millions of dollars have just been wiped off the stock market. Whether you're in America, whether you're in England, whether you're in Ireland, whether you're in Asia, doesn't matter. Name the stock exchange. Hundreds upon hundreds of millions have been knocked off it. You look at gold. Gold is down. Cash has become the, the new safe haven at the minute. Normally when the stock market tanks, gold goes through the roof. It hasn't happened yet. It may still well do. You look at what's happened to crypto this week. All the year's gains have been gone. This is going to have a major impact. All this money lost. It shows you how fragile our market is. That you have a situation where 4,500 people have died around the world in three months. And because of that fear, because of that uncertainty, because of everything that's going on, All this amount of money has just vanished. And because you think, oh, John, there you are, you know, showing who you really are. You know, you're worried about the stock market and you're worried about all those rich people and millionaires and billionaires. No, I'm actually worried about the individuals who have 401ks in the stock market. Can you imagine if you have worked your life off and you've put money away, you've been responsible? You've put money into your 401k each and every month. And you're close to retirement. If you're 30 or 40 and you've got a 401k, you don't need to worry about it. This is just a blip. Yeah, it sucks. You lost a lot of money. But you'll gain it back. It'll happen in, might happen in 18 months. It might take two years. It might take five years. But if you're 30 and 40, you're not retiring in five years anyway, unless you're, you got some great invention. But if you're 60, 62, 63 right now, That's who I feel sorry for. But I also feel sorry, and this is something, again, we're going to be talking about more in detail over the next couple of weeks, is you saw, we spoke about this last year sometime, where you have all these police departments, pensions, and major issues. And that's with a record record stock market. What's happened to the Dallas PD's pension fund over the last week, where the Dow is down like 25%? 30 percent what's happened to them what about the chicago pd and this keeps building and building how many people are going to have to be bailed out for this will donald trump and the congress bail them out 
Will the Irish government bail them out? Will the IMF, will the EU bail out people? Who's going to be bailed out with all this situation where all this money has been lost? And then guess who has to foot the bill? You, the taxpayer. How many people are going to be caused such financial hardship because of this and yet are going to have to be bailed out? Now, I'm not calling for the little guy to be bailed out. What I'm calling for is just to highlight this and explain the financial crisis we are in right now. And we're in a crisis because of bad, bad government from both left and right for the longest period of time. Because I would ask you just to think about this to break down the issues and break it down to your simple core. Whether you like Donald Trump or hate Donald Trump, whether you like the Republicans or hate the Republicans, whether you love the Democrats or hate the Democrats, your feelings and emotions towards any of them don't matter. They all have one thing in common. They all love spending money and they all reject out of hand reducing the size of government. Your budget, your deficit, since George Bush left office, has gone from under $10 trillion to well in excess of $23 trillion. Just think about that for a minute. Just think about the impacts of that. You don't have much re- breathing room to deal with this crisis. Because your government is so bloated. Your government is so bad. And you have hacks like Nancy Pelosi. Anytime there's chance of a budget cut, oh, the cupboards are bare, the cupboards are bare, there's nothing here. You can't possibly, there are no more cuts. Imagine you having this situation in your life where constantly, month in, month out, you needed to put money on your credit card that you never pay off to pay your bills. And then having a situation where potentially you're out of work. The idea of having a credit card is, hey, you break this in case of an emergency. You go, hey, I'm now out of work. I'm going to have to put on the credit card. I don't want to, but I'm paying it off as quickly as I can because I want to have that financial flexibility. Does America have that? Does America have a breaking case of emergency credit card? Or is it just going to be the same failed monetary policies that we've seen so many times before? Bailouts. Just print more money, which will cause more un- un- unintended consequences like inflation. These are things we need to talk about. And I'm trying my best to break economics down to a simple, understandable level for each of you guys and girls. Because you may not like economics. I know some people message me going to go, Oh, John, I get you like economics. But every time you talk economics, my, my eyes roll to the back of my head. You may not care about economics. But trust me when I say this, they care about you and you need to understand them because what's happening right now requires your immediate attention. new show every saturday at 12 noon eastern we're on all major platforms check us out subscribe if you're a new listener welcome also please share it with your family and your friends this is the only way we get this show to grow and i hope i hope you guys think i I do put a lot of work into this show each and every week and i hope you guys get your you feel you get your value for your money even though it's free but your time is not and i appreciate every time you listen to this show also, if you happen to listen on iTunes, please leave us a rating and review. It you know, helps the algorithm finding for new listeners to find this show. And we found some new listeners. And thank you so much for everything that you do. 
I want to finish off today's show by talking to you about two financial issues which need to be addressed that are related to the ones related to coronavirus and ones not. One is about politics. So I saw a lot of people, if you've been watching your politics and the Democratic, because the Democratic primaries have been, oh my God, how, how fun have they been? I, had, I, I was paid to say they were fun. George Soros said, you cannot say anything bad about the Democrats, John. So I, I have to follow my, you know, my, my overlord. But one of the things I saw was Michael Bloomberg running. And I saw this team when he pulled out. So he spent, oh my God, did you see Michael Bloomberg? He spent $500 million. He would have been just so much better off if he just gave all this money to poor people. If he just helped people. If he just, you know, he would have had such a better impact. He would have at least done something useful with his $500 million. He would have helped people. You know, he would have, he would have helped people get, you know, a foot up on the door. Let me explain this to you. First off, nature's law and nature's God. I know people don't like when I discuss scriptures because, oh, I'm trying to convert you to Jesus, but I'm not. There's a very fundamental principle in the Bible. There's many of them. You should check them out sometime. But there's one which breaks everything down to its core. Give a man a fish, he eats for a day. Teach a man how to fish, and he lives forever. Which do you want to be? It's I'm sick and tired of all these people thinking, Oh, I gave this person a fish, and I gave this person a fish, and I gave this person a fish. Oh my God, how compassionate am I? Yeah, it's great. Well done. Congratulations. You gave him a fish. But you've made that person dependent on you if you keep giving them that fish. They never learn any skills. They never learn any new talents. We need to teach people how to fish. The idea is not to be reliant on anyone, whether it's a fellow man or whether it's a government or whether it's a church. The idea is to be independent, to stand up on your own two feet, to be accountable. But the economic illiteracy that goes on in your country and around the world really frustrates me. So I want to break this down to you so that you can understand that Michael Bloomberg spending $500 million did have an impact on the economy and did help the little guy. This class warfare bullcrap. Oh, you're only for the rich people. You're only for the poor people. And you're only for the... No, let's be for everyone and let's be consistent about principles. I'm not for anyone. I'm for everyone. But let's break down all these ads. Because these ads just didn't just poof and, you know, appear. There's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes of creating a TV show or creating an advert. Unless you think everyone who does the following jobs, which I'm going to highlight to you and break down for you, is a millionaire and billionaire, Michael Bloomberg did have an economic impact on the economy and for the little guy. Because every ad Michael Bloomberg did had to be written by someone. This might shock you about politicians. Michael Bloomberg, Donald Trump... Nancy Pelosi, Mitch McConnell, ever who you are. You're not sitting in your study, you know, going, I have this ad, this ad is brilliant, oh my god, and we'll draw this, and we'll do this, and the ad will say this, and then at the end, paid for by Trump for America 2020. Donald Trump isn't writing ads. Donald Trump is running the country. Donald Trump's giving speeches. Donald Trump is not sitting there, I've got this great ad. <laughs> no, Donald Trump has a writer. Donald Trump doesn't usually write his own speeches. He has a writer. He is a speechwriter. So someone had to write that. Someone had to come up with the idea for that speech. Someone then had to create that. You know, hey, I have this, these lines and I have these words and I have this visual. And you have to create it. You know, they have to do a storyboard. Then you need to have people who are in sound, 
in lighting. You need to have people in an editing, editing department because these ads are not like a cut through, like this show where I press start and I just keep talking and then press stop. They're usually done in, in bites and seconds and then it's all clipped and cropped and put together. And sometimes there are many, many, many different takes. You have a producer. You have a director if there are people in it. Then you have all the video and you have the video package put together. And then you have someone who goes and buys ads. They go to a networking. Hey, I have a hundred million to spend on this ad. Who'll give me the most time? And then they go to CBS and ABC and MSNBC and CNN, ever who it is. All the alphabet soup. All the different networks. And then they spend it. And then they divvy it up. And then you have someone agreeing the schedule. Well, we've 10 clips of this ad airing on CNN today. They're going to be at 601, 701, 801, 936, 1029, whatever it is. And you agree it. And then you have to check that they're run. Then you have people who do the analytics for all these videos. Oh, how many impressions did it get? And then you have someone who builds up all these reports. Well, this ad was better than this ad because we got more impressions, more likes, more shares, more feedback. More people tuned in for this ad than, than, than tuned out. People were engaged with it. Every time we ran this ad on CNN, we got a spike of donations. Every time we ran it on MSNBC, eh, no one cared. Why is that? Well, because CNN is, is quote-unquote the moderate station, whereas MSNBC is the more progressive station. So maybe next time we do more money into CNN. You have people who are all working. These are not volunteer positions. These are all people who are earning money from the campaign. These are all people who are earning money from the campaign, paying taxes, and then going to spend their money buying food, buying their light, buying their heat, buying their groceries, buying their uh, you know entertainment at the weekend, buying Netflix, going to the local Yankees game, whatever it is, and spending money, and then have the knock-on effect of jobs there. But then you also have the people at the network who sell all these ads. You have the people who pay the light, the heat. You know, I know it's easy to think of, well, it's just an advert. Well, part of that advert has to pay for light and heat, has to pay for staffing has to pay for catering, has to pay taxes. You look at what's happening, and I forgot to say this in the last segment about my trip to New York, all the economic impact. Look how much the government is going to be down on taxes. You're going to see this all throughout. But getting back to those ads, then it has to pay taxes for both Bloomberg, but also for CNN, for MSNBC. So the idea that Michael Bloomberg didn't impact the economy, he very much did. He spent $500 million. Now, he didn't get a great return on investment considering the amount of delegates he got. But he spent money. And he helped the little guy. Because here's the dirty little secret that you'll never hear a Democrat admit. Anytime you're spending money, you are directly or indirectly helping the little guy. But you're helping them directly because you're buying in their store or their services or their products. Or whether you're buying from a millionaire and billionaire who pays to hire a little guy. That little guy now has a job. And the more money that millionaire and billionaire spends in that place, guess what? That job becomes more secure. And maybe there's a chance of advancement. You can either teach a man how to fish, or you can give him a fish. Which is more charitable, which is more noble. The second thing I want to talk to you about, which is related to the coronavirus indirectly is to understand that sometimes you're getting a great deal, but it's not good for your long-term financial health. You know, one of the frustrating things I see with economics, and I want to use an example before I get to this story. 
is we all tend to frame our economic opinion based on where we are in our life. Let me give you an example. House prices. Whether it's Ireland, whether it's England, whether it's America, everyone has the same opinion on house prices, depending on where you are on the ladder. If you are closer to potentially selling a house, or you're potentially closer to inheriting you know, your family house and that you might sell it, you don't mind high price property prices, especially if you have a house. Prices keep going up. Hey, that's great for me, baby. Get more leverage in the he- you know, get more leverage in my mortgage. Hey, I'm, I might inherit this house. Then I, you know, I want a high property price. If you haven't got a property and you are potentially, you know, maybe you're dating someone and you're like, hey, we should get married. You know, <laughs> we should get married. Oh, yes, we should. We should make beautiful love and we should have loads of babies. But if we do all of this, where will the babies run? Oh, my God, we need to buy a house. <gasps> oh, my God, the property prices are so high. Where can we afford? If you're at that situation, guess what? You don't want high property prices. You're one of those people who's sitting going, oh my God, the property price is so high. What are we all going to do? This is crazy. This is crazy money. You want 375000 for that house? Go jump off a cliff. This is the situation we have. We tend to look at it from our own point of view. High property prices are good in some places but they do hurt other people. It's not always good and it's not always bad. Sometimes it hurts you. I share that as an analogy because I want to talk to you about something I've seen people celebrate over the last week, which is part coronavirus, but not much. This is a lot of geopolitical activity. Price of oil is now down to $35 a barrel, which in it, give it a couple of weeks, will start impacting the price of the pump. It will be down very low. I've seen people celebrate this as a good thing. Hey, dollar a barrel of oil is only 35 bucks. My God, how cheap is gas going to be? This is going to be awesome. This is brilliant. Now, there are reasons for this because there's issues with China, or sorry, not China, Russia and Saudi Arabia, which are not good for the world. And there's a lot of giving, pushing and taking. And a lot of people, there's going to be a lot of interesting things coming from this, which we'll talk about at a later time because I don't know what's happening right now. I know the impact, but I don't know what's really causing it. But forget about that geopolitical battle. Just talk about the idea of oil being $30 a barrel. That is not good news. (gasps) What did John say? Oil at $35 a barrel is not good news? Yes. Because while it's great short term, and while we're all going to enjoy the price of the pump being very low for a while, this long term will hurt the little guy. How will cheap oil hurt the little guy in the long term? Let me explain to you. There are many, 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 many oil companies out there who are big, small, and in the middle. Big, small, and medium business. And just think of an average business. Think of a big business and think of a small business. Think of who those are to you. Think of what you think they're set up like. When you have oil at $35 a a barrel, you are not making money. This all boils down to this, if this sustains this price for a long period of time. And let me be very clear. When I say a long period of time, I'm talking even weeks. Especially at this time, it could be even less than weeks. Will literally hurt you in the long term. Because I want to think you to think 
you're making a loss if you are producing oil for $35 a barrel. If that's what you're selling at, you are losing money. Which company, the big one, the medium one, or the small one, has the potential to eat those losses for a period of time? Especially when you add in what's going on in the world right now, where people are losing money in the stock market. Where you have economic uncertainty. Who has the potential to eat that cost? Do you think the small business owner can go for a long period of time who's exploring oil? Do you think he can go a long time selling gas at $35 a barrel? Do you think he can do it? So guess what happens to the small guy? Small guy gets gets put out of business, which then has economic ramifications because everyone who works for him no longer has a job. Maybe some of the smaller people look for work, work out. Maybe they were smart with their money. Maybe they invested or maybe they have a you know rainy day fund in their company. But will all medium-sized businesses be available to stand you know $35 a barrel? Some will, some won't. Some of them will go out of business. All of a sudden, then you have big business, big oil left. And when you have a market shrink in businesses, in the amount of businesses which are in it, guess what happens? A long term, there is no competition. Can you think of one industry that has very little competition that prices come down? Go ahead, I'll wait. I'd love to hear your answers because it doesn't happen. What brings prices prices down is the old laws of economics, supply and demand, competition. If you have more supply of something, guess what? The price goes down. If you have a scarcity of something, price goes up. If you have a lot of companies competing for your dollar, price goes down. Competition. If you only have a couple of companies competing for your dollar, guess what? Prices go up. But also, if this lasts long term, this gives a government an opportunity to get into the oil business. Why? Because if you have oil at $35 a barrel, and the small guy goes out of business, and the big guy goes out of business, and then the small, big guys are kind of going, uh-oh, we're in trouble. Uh-oh. Government's not going to let them go out of business. Government's going to come in and say, okay, look, we need, we need to find out a way to make you more stable. How do we do it? Stop selling oil for cheaper than it costs you to produce. That won't be one of the solutions. The solution will be, hey, guess what? We got to bail you out. We got to infuse some cash into you. Now, will this happen? Gee, I hope not. But I wanted to explain this to you in as simple terms as I could to make you understand or to give you the other point of view of why, yes, it's good to see oil down so much. It's great to have cheap gas prices. It's great to be able to go fill up your car and have really cheap gas. And yes, that will have an economic impact. But it's not always a good thing to have things really cheap, especially if companies are making losses. That literally in the long term will hurt the little person, will put so much pressure on your wallet down the road. Sometimes you got to understand that prices need to make profit. You need to make a profit. Because if you don't make a profit, guess what happens eventually? It may take a day, it may take a week, it may take a month, it may take a year, depending on the size of your business, depending on the financial resources your business has. But eventually, you're going to go out of business. And then people are going to lose their jobs. And then guess what happens? Economic uncertainty. 
which is where we started with the coronavirus. I hope this show is giving you plenty to think about. We've got a lot of things going to work on for the next couple of weeks that we're going to talk to you about. But I want to leave you today with the words of Winston Churchill. We have a lot of problems in the world right now. We have a lot of uncertainty. We face major issues. But keep calm and carry on. And if you're an American, you especially need to carry on, keep calm and carry on. Because look at you. You have a track record of always overcoming the obstacles. This ain't going to be the generation which is going to succumb to a challenge. This is an opportunity. An opportunity that will involve a lot of pain and a lot of sacrifice. But it's an opportunity to understand there are major problems in the world right now. And the answer is the same as it always has been. The principles of nature's law and nature's God. We finish up today's show the way we always do, by saluting your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your vets. And also today and going forward, we will also give a special shout out to the people who work in hospitals. You know, the men and women who are on the front lines right now. you got a tricky job any day of the week, but it just got a lot trickier. And until next Saturday, I salute you, the great American people. Never, ever forget, America is great because Americans are good. America is great because Americans are good. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, keep calm and carry on, America. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. 